Welcome to the Chopped Guillotine Fantasy Football Podcast with your host, Joe Harris. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Chopped Guillotine Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Harris, and today we have a very exciting episode for you because, at least for me, it is the eve of the NFL regular season, not counting Thursday night football. I'm a Chiefs fan, so in my head, that Thursday night football game didn't happen. We have the very first NFL action starting at 12 Central tomorrow, or today, because you're probably listening to this uh, Sunday morning. We've got our start and sit episode. This is going to be a weekly occurrence, which will be available to all of you on Sunday morning or perhaps earlier, depending on how my schedule shakes out. But today is more exciting than just a regular start and sit episode. We have a couple of big pieces of news that we want to get through before we start going into the start and sit decisions for all 15 games lined up on the docket. Really weird that the NFL only planned 15 games to open up the regular season. I could have sworn they normally did 16. I must be missing something. The first piece of news. Some of you may have noticed this. Some of you have actually uh, commented and given some feedback on it. We have become monetized on Spotify, and I believe on Apple Podcasts as well, though I'm not 100% sure. I'm still trying to work out some kinks within, but that's a pretty big step. We have we have some ads flowing in the feed now, so if you're, if you're not used to having ads flowing in the feed, well, they're here now. If you don't like them, fortunately, fortunately, we found a workaround for that. There is a very simple button that you can press on Spotify. It's called the subscribe button. And for a mere $1 a month, you don't have to listen to any ads on my channel. You get to hear every bit of start sit advice, every bit of trade advice, and all of the news and notes coming out of the NFL right here on this channel, completely ad free for $1 a month. This is a fantastic bargain. In fact, as a as an early bird special if you subscribe to this podcast in the next month instead of charging one dollar a month i will only charge you 99 cents just because i love you that much i love each and every one of you for the growth and support that you have given this podcast to the point where i can run ads and not only can i run ads i can ask you to give me just straight up a dollar to not have to listen to those ads it's fantastic I'm incredibly proud and excited for the direction that we're going in, and I thank each and every one of you listening, even if you're listening from Malaysia or Italy or Germany or any slew of odd countries that I truly don't know how you got here. I appreciate all of you. You're amazing. The second piece of exciting news is that, well, I have gotten some feedback saying either Joe I couldn't find 18 whole people to do a guillotine league with, which is totally valid. It's hard to find 18 friends. You can also find people who are saying, I just now found this podcast. Guillotine leagues sound super cool, but did I miss the boat? I have great news to people who are in both of those situations. You don't have to draft before NFL week one to play 
guillotine fantasy football, which is amazing. It, it's the only type of fantasy football, unless you count DFS, which you shouldn't. That's fake fantasy football. It's the only type of fantasy football where you can draft literally at any point in the year, and it will make sense. If you only have nine friends, which is totally reasonable, like it in this day and age, friends are expensive. Okay, if you have nine friends, you're making a smart financial decision. And if you've only got nine of them, guess what? You can wait the first six or seven weeks of the regular season to tick by and then start a guillotine league. You don't have to you don't have to roll with week one. All right, and then from there, everything just rolls the same. You eliminate one friend at a time. And then when it comes down to week 17, it's just you and one other lucky bastard, and you're going to kick their ass. And is it as exciting as beating 17 people? No, it's not. But you still get that incredible, authentic guillotine experience. It's always fast-paced. It's always fun. And so if you, listening out there, feel sad that you might have missed the boat on guillotine fantasy football, I'm here to tell you that you didn't. You can start at any time with any number of people. You could even take six people and do two guillotine leagues. You could do one in the first seven or eight weeks of the season and do one in the last seven or eight weeks of the season. It is truly the most entertaining form of fantasy football. There's so much you can do with it. I urge all of you to do cool stuff with it. Have fun. And then let me know the fun things that you do so that I can tell everyone else listening to this podcast about the fun things. And then we all get to do fun things. It's fantastic. I really like fantasy football, guys. I love it. All right. That's all. That's all that we have for the exciting news. Now we're going to get into the week one start and sit where we only talk about depressing news. Yeah. The first game on the docket we have... Carolina at Atlanta on the side of depressing news, which will be a theme in probably each and every one of these game matchups. The Carolina Panthers wide receiving core, which consisted of an old man and a broken down car in DJ Moore. Surprisingly, the old man and the broken down car are less than likely to play week one. That is bad news for first overall pick. Bryce Young, but no one was starting Bryce Young anyways. If DJ Chark or Adam Thielen happen to play, you're starting them. There, there's no reason to sit either of them. They are veterans in the league. They've had plenty of time to build up rapport with their new quarterback. You're probably not going to have someone you want to sit them for unless you have been paying attention to this show for a very long time and drafted, you know, really stellar players towards the end of your rounds. In which case, totally reasonable to sit. Jonathan Mingo has become a very interesting option. I'm seeing him float around a lot as a potential spot start. Atlanta is not a team that gives up a lot of production to fantasy wide receivers. Over the last six weeks of the season, they faced Marquise Brown, they faced DeAndre Hopkins, they faced DJ Moore, and Chris Olave. And the wide receiver that scored the most points on them was Rashid Shahid, who had 94 yards and a touchdown on five catches. Almost every wide receiver 
that they played against was held to less than 12 points. All four of the studs that I talked to you about were held to less than 12 points. Jonathan Mingo coming in as a rookie who did not play against elite college competition, who was still trying to build his rapport with Bryce Young because Jonathan Mingo was running with the twos for most of training camp and part of the preseason. This is not the guy who profiles as a spot start. This is the guy who profiles as someone in your league thinks they're smarter than everyone else, spot starts him, and then goes out week one in embarrassing fashion. Don't lose week one in embarrassing fashion. If you're going to lose week one, you go out strong. You go out fighting. You say, you know what? Three of my guys got injured during the game. What do you want me to do? And the answer is nothing. If that happens, you lose. And you're sad because it's not your fault. Especially because the jackass that started Jonathan Mingo now thinks he's smarter than everyone else for starting Jonathan Mingo. It's a terrible situation. But don't be the jackass and hope to get lucky. In other news, speaking of jackasses who might get lucky, Desmond Ritter is starting for the Atlanta Falcons. I really have nothing against Desmond Ritter personally. He's a great guy from everything that I've seen. I just don't know if if I can really go into my first week of a guillotine league and say, I'm going to play Desmond Ritter at my quarterback. That that feels like something looking back that if I get eliminated, I will be kicking myself over and over again. Desmond Ritter, I've got marked at a four out of 10 on the start meter If you have no other options, if you feel really bad about one of your quarterbacks, like Daniel Jones is a really good example of someone who you might just feel really bad about this week. You can plug Desmond Ritter and it's okay. He has really good weapons. You've got to hope that all of the touchdowns that B. John Robinson scores are receiving touchdowns instead of rushing touchdowns. He definitely has upside. Desmond Ritter can run the ball. But against a Carolina defense that has incredibly good secondary play, I'm not looking for a lot out of someone who's throwing the ball against them. And the last start-sit decision of this game is Hayden Hurst. We've actually marked Hayden Hurst right now at a 7 out of 10. This is completely conditional to the other pass catchers in Carolina being out. If Adam Thielen and DJ Chark both sit, Hayden Hurst is a really, really good start option. But if one of just one of them plays, the floor kind of drops out on Hayden Hurst. The, the reason that you like him is because he is the only person in this offense who has been running with the ones since Bryce Young got there. He is the most trusted option if those two wide receivers sit, and he becomes a really excellent Travis Kelsey or potentially Mark Andrews replacement. We'll get into that in the Houston-Baltimore game, but we're getting into that later. For now, we're talking about game number two, Cincinnati at Cleveland, which projects to be a really exciting game. We're going to learn a whole lot about this Cleveland Browns team, who I think has a really great defense. We're also going to learn if Deshaun Watson just sucks at football now, which he might. That's a possibility. Our first start-sit decision in Cincinnati, Cleveland, is Irv Smith Jr. He's the tight end for the Cincinnati Bengals. If you didn't know where he played, that would be totally reasonable because he's played in, I think, three different teams in the last two years. He's probably the fifth option on this offense. All three of the wide receivers, Chase, Higgins, 
Tyler Boyd. And then at this point, Joe Mixon is probably a higher target share guy than Irv Smith. You've got four guys catching passes ahead of him. I am not trying to put Irv Smith into a lineup. If I drafted him late as a late tight end, I am trying to pivot away from him just because of how many really interesting and good, surprisingly, surprisingly good tight end options have popped up over the last couple of days just on your waiver wire. He's a 3 out of 10 on the start meter. He is a guy that I am looking to find a replacement to. As far as the Cleveland Browns go, most of the guys that you drafted for them, you're starting. You can you can find an argument to bench Deshaun Watson. I would listen, and I would be okay with that, just because I don't want to ever have to root for Deshaun Watson, personally. But you don't have to be one of those people. I think it's totally reasonable to put him on your team and then let you know the stuff that he produces do good things for you without his consent. That makes sense. Poetic justice, if you will. The closest thing that I can find to a start-sit decision for Cleveland is Elijah Moore. Uh, he did get traded partway through the offseason, so maybe there's a lack of rapport between him and Deshaun Watson, but everything coming out of training camp about Elijah Moore was positive. He should be the second option on this team. Cincinnati has been known to try and bracket and take away number one wide receivers. I don't think they're going to be successful doing that with Amari Cooper just because this is a home game and Amari Cooper is always great in home games. Uh, this this is something that I've talked about multiple times on the show. I'm not going to get too deep into it, but just know that like this isn't a tongue in a tongue in cheek joke that I'm making. Like Amari Cooper is actually just much better in home games. So I would much rather this be an away game. If Elijah Moore, if I'm starting Elijah Moore, I would rather it be an away game. Since it's a home game, he's only a 9 out of 10. If it was away, he would be a 10 out of 10 smash out of the ballpark. But for the most part, Cincinnati at Cleveland is a very cut-and-dry game. The guys who you drafted to be your starters are in your starting lineup, and the guys who you drafted to sit on your bench are going to sit on your bench. I guess the last interesting part of this game is Tyler Boyd, who doesn't really seem to be in line for a lot of targets. If you are backed into a corner, you can start him. He would be a 5 out of 10 of just like, this is a coin flip. He might catch a meaningful pass. He might catch three meaningless passes, at which point I would just, I, I want to take my shots on other guys. But if you don't have other guys you want to take shots on, or if the guys who you wanted to take shots on are injured now, out of nowhere, then there's nothing wrong with Tyler Boyd but I would absolutely be looking to upgrade him if he's in my starting lineup. Game number three we're looking at is also going to be a very straightforward game. We have Jacksonville at Indianapolis. I'm going to make this so, so incredibly easy. If you are on the fence about a Jacksonville player, you start them. If you are on the fence about an Indianapolis player, you sit them. And if you're confident in an Indianapolis player, you also sit them. Literally everyone in Indianapolis outside of maybe Michael Pittman Jr., but even he could lay an absolute goose egg with really high probability. Your Jacksonville Jaguars, even your Tank Bigsby's and your Zay Flowers are reasonable 5 out of 10 starts. Everyone else in Jacksonville is a 10 out of 10. Easily. 
the only person who I am remotely considering starting for Indianapolis is Michael Pittman Jr. You should not start Anthony Richardson in his first ever NFL action. You should not try to start any of these running backs unless you're desperate. I, I do understand that, you know, in a guillotine league with 18 teams, there's only 32 starting running backs in the NFL. If you've got to roll with Deion Jackson, you can, you know, hold your breath and hope that he gives you reasonable RB2 production. But for the most part, an Indianapolis player shouldn't crack your lineup. Oh, and also the Jacksonville defense is a great start. I, I'm not looking at defenses in the start-sit decisions, but definitely not looking at kickers, but Jacksonville defense, get them in a lineup. If they're on a waiver, they shouldn't be. Your league is dumb. Put them on your team. Let the free 20 points flow in. Game number four we're looking at, we've got Tampa Bay at Minnesota. This one has two of the very most interesting start-sit decisions that we have today. The first of which is Jordan Addison. I really, really want to avoid starting rookie wide receivers where anywhere it's possible. It's hard to get away from Jordan Addison, especially in a matchup against Tampa Bay that has been known to double-cover receivers with Antoine Winfield and Carlton Davis. You can absolutely see a world where those guys are on Justin Jefferson all day, and that leaves Jordan Addison as probably seeing... I mean, I don't think he's going to be running wide open everywhere, but you can really see a reason for him to get more targets than Justin Jefferson if Tampa Bay says, you know what, we're going to make this round one first game ever rookie beat us. In which case, like I, I think that that is a totally plausible thing to happen. Even if it doesn't happen, Jordan Addison is really fast. He's really good at playing wide receiver. He can turn any pass that he catches into a touchdown. So for me, Jordan Addison's looking at, he's looking at an 8 out of 10. Even though he's a rookie wide receiver, he is easily my highest ranked rookie wide receiver. He's actually the only one that I think is startable today. But, but nothing. If you drafted Jordan Addison, you put him in your lineup, and you don't think very hard about it. I'm going to say something very controversial now. Everyone in Tampa Bay who you drafted, you drafted them to be a starter. Right? Rashad White, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin. If you drafted those guys, you're playing them. You don't have a better option than any of them. I know you don't. I know you. And you know you. And you know that I know that I know you. And I know that you don't have someone better on your team. But it's really interesting when you talk about two good wide receivers who are clear starts, a pass-catching running back who's a clear start. It makes you sit and think, who's throwing them these passes? And then you start thinking you're crazy. You start thinking you're crazy for thinking about Baker Mayfield. But then you say, wait, Baker Mayfield has a great offensive line. Baker Mayfield likes to target the running backs when things aren't open downfield. He is a very quick-to-check-down quarterback. And Baker Mayfield is playing against a defense that made Daniel Jones look like a quarterback worth $40 million. 
Baker Mayfield's a 7 out of 10 on the start. I'm looking to start Baker Mayfield over a lot of dudes. Over Desmond Ritter, over any rookie, over most of the old farts, right? Talking about Aaron Rodgers in New York, Russell Wilson, wherever the hell he is, Las Vegas, um, not Las Vegas, what am I saying? I'm trying to say Jimmy G, Ryan Tannehill. Like, unless you have someone who you drafted in the top 10 of quarterbacks, it's not unreasonable to consider putting Baker up there. I This feels really, really similar to the situation in Seattle last year, where it's like, you can't start this guy. I don't care how good his weapons are. He was He's on a bad team. They're going to have one of the first picks in the NFL draft. And, you know, that this quarterback was in a QB competition for a long time. So he has to suck. This isn't all that different from Geno Smith. Geno Smith proved a lot of people wrong. Baker likes to prove people wrong. That's kind of the only thing that gets him out of bed. I'm looking to find a reason to put Baker Mayfield in a lineup. You can call me crazy. You might be right. I might be really crazy for saying that. But there's just a lot of guys who I think are duds. Everything around Baker is too good to let Baker be a dud. I'm sorry for pausing for so much dramatic effect. I really needed to hit home on that. God, I, I should have made that be my last game. I should have reviewed Tampa Bay at Minnesota last. But... I suppose I'm just making sure everyone hears the words that I'm saying. I probably just lost like 10% of my listenership telling you to start Baker Mayfield. I do not care. I've planted that flag. And if he throws four picks, I will uh I will put the, I will put the Baker Mayfield flag back where it belongs in the trash can with probably with Baker. We're going to move on though. We're going to move on from that fourth game. We're getting into game number five, Tennessee at New Orleans, with another really weird, really gross kind of kind of start that makes you feel nasty inside. I'm going to bury the lead on that one, though. The first guy I'm going to talk about is Traylon Burks. I really like Traylon Burks as a talent. He's a five out of ten on the start of meter, though, just because, A, this is a run-heavy offense, B, we don't think the quarterback's great. C, DeAndre Hopkins is running over him. And D, he missed a lot of time in training camp. He still has a nagging injury. He's absolutely going to play. And I think he's probably going to look good because he's looked good out of camp in the last couple of days. Out of practice, sorry. We do practices now. It's not camp anymore. It's practice. I'm talking about practice. <laughs> but Traylon Burks, he's a... He's a 5 out of 10. He's a coin flip to be good this week, I think. I'm. He's another player that I am looking to start someone else over him. But if I if I look and I don't like what I see, I don't feel terrible about Traylon Burks. The really controversial player in this situation is Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill for the New York, for the New Orleans Saints. He He is listed at tight end on almost every fantasy platform out there. You can start him at tight end to replace 
one of the Manny tight ends who might miss or who has already missed in the case of Travis Kelsey. Mark Andrews, likely not playing. Uh, George Kittle has a groin injury. He's had it for a while. We thought it would go away, and it didn't. Taysom Hill is looking at a a 6.5 out of 10 for one reason. I do not think he takes a single snap as a tight end. I don't. I think that when New Orleans gets to the goal line, and they've got Jamal Williams, who's a good goal linebacker, don't get me wrong, I think they're going to give Taysom Hill some really weird stuff. Taysom Hill has always done really weird stuff, but right now, the difference is Taysom Hill is not only the second best tight end on this team, but he's also the second best running back on this team. Alvin Kamara is suspended. Kendra Miller, who they drafted in the second or third round of the NFL draft, they took him pretty high, and he's a really good player. He's not going to play. It's Jamal Williams and the guy who is going to have the second most carries for the New Orleans Saints is Taysom Hill. He is the jack of all trades. If if you're in a league, by the way, that was adapted from an IDP league, which some of the leagues that I'm in are, and they give points for tackles, Taysom Hill becomes like a 9 out of 10 starting. Because you never know when that man's going to block a punt or run down on a kick return and absolutely lay a dude out. Maybe even force a fumble. Who knows? But I'm if my plan going into the season at tight end got injured, I'm looking to find a way to put Taysom Hill into my lineup. I'm definitely looking to put him in over Irv Smith Jr. I I think it's a hard decision between him and Hayden Hurst. If Hayden Hurst has no one else playing with him, I'll take Hayden Hurst. But if if you're looking at Hurst with Thielen lining up across from him, I'm putting Taysom Hill. I'm rolling with it. I, It's going to feel crazy. There's 17 other teams in this league. You got to do something crazy. Just a little tiny bit. Just just a little, you know what? Not, not crazy. Variance. We've talked about variance on this show for a very long time. This is a... You know what? He might get me zero, but every other tight end in the NFL, especially who you're picking up off waivers, can get you zero. How many tight ends are going to get a rushing touchdown? It's just Taysom Hill. So, he's he's the moonshot type of player, which is totally reasonable just because tight ends are so bad that all of them can suck. And if Taysom Hill sucks, yeah, whatever. Hayden Hurst, Irv Smith, probably also sucked. You know, unless Hurst has no target competition. If nothing else, you'll have a lot of fun watching the Tennessee-New Orleans game every time it comes up on NFL Red Zone, praying for Taysom Hill touches. And you'll probably get him. He's the RB2 and the tight end too. No one else has that spot. It's a really interesting position. And if you're strapped at tight end, you're rolling those dice. And you feel not the best about it. It feels gross. But it's kind of fun. And we all do this to have fun. Have some fun. Play Taysom Hill. See what happens. Before we get into week... Not week. Wow. Week six. That would be crazy. Before we get into game number six, though, we're going to have our first ever announced ad break 
Be right back after this word from our sponsors. And we're back with game number six. We're looking at San Francisco at Pittsburgh. Most of the players, most of the skill position players in this game are pretty clear decisions. You drafted them to start them. If you drafted George Pickens, even though I told you not to, you're probably going to start him. George Pickens is looking at a 7 out of 10 on the start meter but the thing is, I know that if you drafted George Pickens, you don't have better options on your team, because you would only have better options on your team. <sighs> Excuse me. If you were listening to the things that I had been saying all offseason. And if you drafted George Pickens, you clearly have not been listening to what I've said all offseason. George Pickens is not a high target share guy. He is a fuck it, George is down there somewhere guy. And sometimes that's going to turn into him absolutely mossing someone. And sometimes it's going to turn into nothing. If you got extra points for mossing a defender, I would be way more in on George Pickens. Sadly, we have not figured out a way to integrate that into fantasy. And so for now, George Pickens is benchable. But those aren't the two start-sit decisions that are the most interesting. The two that are the most interesting are the quarterbacks in these games. you got Kenny Pickett and you got Brock Purdy. I've got both of these guys sitting at a 6 out of 10. Yes, that is below the mark I gave Baker Mayfield. If you do not like it, you are probably either a San Francisco or a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. The reason that each of these guys is below Baker Mayfield is just because of the defenses that they're playing against. They're playing against the San Francisco 49ers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. If I told you like that I had a crystal ball and I looked into the future and I was like, yep, these are the top two defenses in the NFL by the end of the year and no one's even close. You wouldn't bat an eye. You would say, yeah, that makes total sense. Those are two teams that have absolute dogs everywhere on the field. I don't think either of these quarterbacks do anything unique athletically. I don't think that's really arguable. None of, neither of them do anything unique athletically, except Kenny Pickett can do a fake slide, which is cool. Other than that, you're talking about two guys who throw the ball without a lot of pace on it. They have great weapons. That's why you're considering starting them. But the great weapons versus arguably greater defenses give a lot of concerns, <clears throat> especially for guys who are not super mobile, and guys who throw the ball without a lot of pace on it. There are a lot of situations for turnovers for both of these players, whether it be fumbles just because they can't run away from defensive linemen, or from interceptions because the balls that they throw are slow, respectfully. They're much faster than anything I could throw, but by NFL quarterback standards, it's slower. Corners have a better shot at picking it off than most other, most other balls, even when it's well-placed. I would be more interested in Kenny Pickett if Charvarius Ward doesn't play. He is the best corner in San Francisco. Kenny Pickett would get up to a 7 out of 10, tied with Baker Mayfield, at which point, if you have to choose between the two of them, I totally would understand taking Pickett just because you don't want to start Baker Mayfield because he's Baker Mayfield. But if Charvarius Ward plays, Pickett's back down to the 6, you're rolling with Baker, or you're not listening to me. Which, you know, I'm, I can't control what you do. I'm just a voice in your AirPods that you're listening to on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Or maybe iHeartRadio. We've got, we've got a few iHeartRadio listeners now. Shout out to you guys. We appreciate you. Game number seven 
is Arizona at Washington. These are a lot of very easy choices. If you drafted someone from Washington, whether it be one of the running backs, it could be Sam Howell. I think Sam Howell's a really good start this week. It could be any of the wide receivers because it sounds like Terry McLaurin's going to play. If you drafted a Washington player to be a starter, you're starting them and you feel excellent about it because this Arizona defense might be the worst in the league. The only reason I say might isn't because they might be good. We know they're going to be bad. It's just because other teams might somehow find a way to be worse. And you'll see, we've got, we're talking about Houston, Baltimore next, but we'll save that for just a second later. So the first starter set decision in game number seven, Arizona, Washington is Rondale Moore. Rondale Moore was being drafted inside the top 120 to 140 in almost all drafts that are PPR format. And Rondale Moore was a really interesting and strong start last year whenever DeAndre Hopkins and Marquise Brown were both missing time. There's no more DeAndre Hopkins, and so the argument is Rondale Moore slots back into the old role of being a PPR machine. There are a good handful of reasons why you should be smarter than to listen to that assumption. The first of which, Rondale Moore isn't a starter. Like, the assumption is he's going to start again. He's not. He's not starting in two wide receiver sets. Almost everything that the Arizona Cardinals are going to run is going to be a two wide receiver set because they use two tight ends, one running back. He's not going to see the field nearly enough to matter. Michael Wilson, the rookie that they took in the fifth round, is starting over him. Obviously, Marquise Brown is starting over him. The only reason Rondale Moore should make his way into your lineup is if Marquise Brown misses time, because I know he's questionable with what I believe to be a quad injury. Other than that, Marquise Brown is a 0 out of 10. Not Marquise Brown. Damn. I came in so confident on that, too. Wow. That was rough. That was rough. Rondale Moore is a 0 out of 10. I made up for the fuck up with even more confidence. I hope it worked. Bench him. Like, that, almost everyone is a better start than Rondale Moore. If they're a bum, you put Rondale Moore over them. But anyone on this list who was a wide receiver, almost anyone on your bench who I told you to go target is a better start than Rondale Moore. On the Arizona side of things, you're starting everyone. And that probably includes Logan Thomas. We've got him at a 7 out of 10 on the startometer for two reasons. The first of which is... He was getting some interesting buzz out of camp. I don't want to say he was super exciting. I mean, he's, I think he's 29 years old now. There's not a lot to be excited about at this point. We kind of know what he is. We know he's a guy who can catch a lot of passes. And that's something that Eric Bieniemy talked about. They, he talked about using him in the screen game, which at first sounded like he was going to be blocking, but then beat reporters came out and said, no, Logan Thomas actually caught a few screen passes. So... Apparently, that's something that Washington wants to do. But the real reason that Logan Thomas has made it to a 7 out of 10 on the start of meter is because he's playing against the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals, I don't know how they've done it. Like, it, it is an anomaly of all anomalies. In the last five years, they have been bottom five in the NFL in fantasy points per game allowed to tight ends in PPR formats. And probably in non-PPR formats too. I just didn't look at that. 
Logan Thomas is playing against probably the best matchup of his career that he's going to get all year. And he's also doing this with uh, Terry McLaurin coming back from an injury, who's probably going to be slightly limited in action. I really like Logan Thomas as a streamable tight end. If you had one of your top tier tight ends go down, Logan Thomas is the primary replacement. Secondary replacement to that. We're going to get to the primary replacement here in a second. He's a 7 out of 10. That is higher than Taysom Hill. So I guess I can pump the Taysom Hill breaks just a little bit. Logan Thomas should totally be started over him. But you can still have fun and start Taysom Hill. I might. I might. I drafted I drafted a lot of Travis Kelsey guys. <laughs> we could see a lot of Taysom Hill starts in my future. We're going to move, though, away from Taysom Hill, I promise. I promise I probably think I'm kind of done talking about Taysom Hill. We're going to move to Game 8, which is Houston at Baltimore, which is just going to be catastrophic. Like, I, Houston doesn't deserve what's going to happen to them in this game. Baltimore is probably going to score points like they're a college team playing against like they're they're gonna score like they're an FBS team playing against an FCS team. That is the talent difference that you're looking at between Baltimore and Houston. Houston was far and away the worst team in football last year, and they tripped and fell out of the first overall pick. They should have had it. They had it all year. And then in the flukiest of all fluke games that I've ever seen in my life, I watched them beat the Colts in week 18 to avoid the ability to draft at one overall. Make no mistake, this was the worst team in the NFL last year, and they're still pretty bad. They haven't done a whole lot to solve their defensive problems, especially on the ground. The The start of the week, anywhere, in any format, is J.K. Dobbins. The Houston Texans allowed 2,008 100 yards on the ground to running backs last year. That is the most since Super Bowls existed. I cannot express how bad this defense is. Any Baltimore Raven that you have, you are starting them. You feel great. They are a 10 out of 10. Even Odell Beckham Jr., who was questionable going into this week, who is kind of old. The reason that you probably want to start Odo Beckham Jr. here is because the Ravens just gave him $15 million this offseason, which is approximately $14.5 million more than any other team was going to give Odell. I think they're going to want to make that investment look reasonable. So you can really project a lot of targets going Odell's way, at least one touchdown. That's sort of what happened when he was with the Rams, is we're going to justify spending all this money on Odell because look at how many touchdown passes he can catch. And he's great at touching, at catching him. Like, he, he gets free in the end zone. That's a really hard skill to learn in the NFL. Don't get me wrong. He's a strong start. Dalton Schultz on the Texan side of things. That's another strong start. If you drafted him and another guy of like, oh, these are both a couple of lower tier tight ends, and I'm going to see what happens. Dalton Schultz is pretty is the pretty clear start. In Houston, he seems to have the best rapport with uh, his new quarterback in C.J. Stroud. He's kind of the only 
pass catching option that that I don't see getting zero points for the Houston Texans. Everyone else could very easily lay an egg. I don't think it happens with Dalton Schultz. I think he doesn't leave the field ever. And he becomes the safety blanket for CJ Stroud because this Baltimore defense is going to be nasty. He's going to be, he's going to have to be getting rid of this ball quick. And almost every wide receiver in Houston outside of Nico Collins is a field stretcher. So Nico Collins, Dalton Schultz, both totally reasonable starts on the Houston side of things. Damian Pierce is just too talented for me to tell you to sit, even though the situation feels terrible. Start your Ravens. Sit most of your Texans. The last note we have about this game is Mark Andrews might not play. He's he's literally he's 50-50. He seems to be a game-time decision. In the event that he doesn't play, Isaiah likely is the smash hit 10 out of 10 tight end streamer option. He should be in line for a considerable target share. In, in the two games that we saw Mark Andrews not play in last year, Isaiah likely was incredible. You can go back and get the exact game logs if you feel like you don't trust me. You should trust me. Isaiah likely will very likely see what I did. He will very likely be very good for your team. Game number nine, we're looking at Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears. A storied matchup. A continuation of a legendary rivalry. It's probably going to be a really interesting game. I will have fun watching it. And most of the players in this game are starts. I like Jordan Love. I think he's reasonable to start over some of the iffier quarterbacks. I would I, I view Jordan Love in the same way that I view Baker Mayfield in week one, which if you're a Packers fan, try not to stab me the next time you see me. Um, and Justin Fields is a phenomenal start anywhere. The guys who were looking at sitting in this game, well, the hard decisions in this game that we're going to lean towards sit are A.J. Dillon, who we've got at a 4 out of 10, and Khalil Herbert, who was a 3.5 out of 10. Basically meaning I would start A.J. Dillon over Khalil Herbert by a very slim margin. A.J. Dillon had some pretty good games against uh, the Chicago Bears. He had one good game against the Chicago Bears late in the year last year. It's not ridiculous to chase that, especially given that uh, Jordan Love, you know, it's his first real NFL start. He had the one against the Chiefs, which was really weird. Aaron Rodgers pretended to be vaccinated, wasn't actually vaccinated, pulled a sneaky one on you and cost his team a whole win. Um, you're going to see a lot of the running backs get involved here, especially because the Chicago defense was terrible against the run last year. They did a whole lot to try and fix it, but the first play that the Green Bay Packers run, the first thing that the Green Bay Packers want to do in this game is establish the run. Because the last time that they saw the Chicago Bears on the field, they established the run, and they kicked their asses. For that reason, A.J. Dillon is a completely reasonable play. He's another guy who I'm looking to take out of a lineup, if at all possible. But if it came down to him and, like, Deion Jackson or, you know, Khalil Herbert in this case, or any RB2 who, you, who you're hoping falls into the end zone, um, I'm looking at you, Ezekiel Elliott, then I'm, I'm giving the start to A.J. Dillon there. Khalil Herbert's at a 3.5 for 
probably four or five different reasons. Let's see how many I can give you. First of which, Justin Fields is going to take a lot of rushing work away. We've always seen that. Reason number two, Roshan Johnson is going to take some rushing work away. I think Roshan Johnson's awesome. If you covered any NFL draft or if you looked into the rookies this year, you know that Roshan Johnson's pretty awesome. And he would have been probably drafted way higher if he didn't go to school with someone named Bijan Robinson, who I bet you've heard of. Uh, reason number three, Deontay Foreman exists. He's a big bruising running back. If they're giving anyone goal line carries, it's going to be Deontay Foreman. Reason number four, they're playing at home and they just acquired an elite wide receiver. The Chicago Bears don't want to show their fans, hey, watch Khalil Herbert run the ball. 30 times today, right? They want to be the explosive team that they've been hyping themselves up to be, that they fancy themselves to be. They want to show it to their fans. And for that reason, I'm pretty far out on Khalil Herbert. He is a starting running back, and I get that it's hard to find those guys, so I don't think he's a bad start. But like, if, if you're putting him in your flex, odds are you have a better wide receiver you can start over him. Um, and speaking of wide receivers... Outside of DJ Moore, Bears wide receivers, not startable. Cole Komet, not startable. He's a blocking tight end. I'll die on this hill. I will die on this hill. Cole Komet is not a good start. He might catch a touchdown pass, and you might say, oh, look at how good Cole Komet was. No, he wasn't good. He caught a touchdown. He was lucky. Don't chase touchdowns. Chase routes and targets, and he gets none of them. You know why he gets none of them? Because... Half the time, when the Bears run a passing play, Cole Komet's just blocking. Furthermore, a quarter of the time, when the Bears call a passing play, Justin Fields either gets sacked or runs the ball. And to go on top of that, the Bears just don't call many passing plays. Maybe they do this year, but now he has to compete, instead of just with Chase Claypool and Equinemius St. Brown, he's competing with DJ Moore and Darnell Mooney, who's now healthy. I, I can't explain how much I'm begging you to bench Cole Komet. I don't care that he was ranked 95 in ESPN's ADP. Bench him for Taysom Hill, please. Packers wide receivers are good starts in this game. Jaden Reed is going to be awesome. Romeo Dobbs, if he plays, is going to be awesome. If Romeo Dobbs doesn't play, Jaden Reed is going to be super awesome. Um, and if you haven't heard the news, Christian Watson is not going to play week one, which is sad. It downgrades Jordan Love to the Justin Fields, to the Baker Mayfield level, excuse me, in my eyes. Um, and if Romeo Dobbs doesn't play, I'm starting Baker Mayfield over Jordan Love. I'm going to be killed by a Packers fan tomorrow. I just know it. Game number 10, Las Vegas at Denver. Two... Two pretty straightforward options on the start-sit level. I'm starting both of them. Jacoby Myers is an 8 out of 10 on the start-sit meter. His new quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy who likes to spread the ball around. We've seen it both when he played in New England and when he played for the San Francisco 49ers. I The reason I'm not putting Jacoby Myers at a 10 out of 10 is because I also think that Jimmy Garoppolo just sucks. Like, he can only operate within a very specific system. We saw the Las Vegas Raiders play 17 games of NFL football 
we didn't see anything remotely resembling a system. We saw Derek Carr playing hero ball, chucking it to Devontae Adams at every given opportunity. And we saw Josh Jacobs be a fucking menace. But Jacoby Myers is also a really good NFL player. I think he should be in line for the second most targets on this team. He's a strong start. If you drafted him, you're probably going to start him, and you're going to feel good about it. On the Denver side of things, they're kind of all starts. All the Denver skill position players, they're, they're starts to the level of, like, you can legitimately start both of these running backs. in your. If you have both of the Denver running backs on your team, you start both of them. You put Javante Williams in your RB2, you get Samaj P. Ryan in your flex, and you're going to feel pretty good about it. There's probably going to be a touchdown between the two of them. You can definitely see them catching six to eight passes between the two of them in the new Sean Payton offense. Javante Williams has looked really good. Samaj P. Ryan, I think we know, is really good and really underrated. He's a great start. Jerry Judy, not looking like he's going to play. That makes Cortland Sutton and Marvin Mims two really strong plays at wide receiver just in, on target volume alone. They won't leave the field. The Denver Broncos probably aren't going to leave the field. I know it's not a great offense, but they're playing against the Vegas Raiders. Name four people on the defense. Sorry, I paused too long. I was waiting for you to... I, I was I was trying to give you an opportunity to name four people on the defense, but then I forgot, actually, that because you can't name four people on the defense, I should have paused for much shorter. My bad. I will do better with that next time. Greg Dulcich is also a dude. I love Greg Dulcich. You, you look at Greg Dulcich's player profile picture and tell me that's not a man you want to start. I'll bet my week one survival on that man and his mustache. You can also start Russell Wilson. He's another guy that's going to feel gross to start, but the situation's just really interesting for him there. He's a little on the lower end. He's right around that Baker Mayfield range. <laughs> so you, you can... You can semi-confidently start Russell Wilson or Baker Mayfield to, to keep your season alive in week one. Whew. I'm having too much fun with this. I'm so sorry. Game number 11, we've got Philadelphia at New England. The sit of the game here is any running back not named Ramondre Stevenson. The Philadelphia running backs, we have no clue what's going to happen there. I would really, really try to bench all three of them if at all possible if you drafted deandre swift you might be forced to start him just because of a lack of another option at running back i can see them getting him involved to justify what they spent on him which was very low draft capital he's not a terrible start he's probably a five out of ten but every other running back in this game is a two out of ten except of course ramondre stevenson who as we know is not only has the coolest name in the NFL, is really good at football. That also includes Ezekiel Elliott. Um, look, with Zeke, you're hoping that he falls into the end zone, or you're hoping that, for whatever reason, the Patriots decide to give him more passing downs work than Ramondre Stevenson. I, th As much as I think that Bill Belichick, you know, might be, might be getting a little closer to, you know, Canton the retirement home, the grave, what what have you. Uh, he's still smarter than to give Zeke those opportunities. And if he's not, I'll be sad. 
Juju Smith-Schuster is a 7 out of 10. He's a pretty strong start in PPR formats. He should just be peppered with targets in this offense. He's really the best target getter for New England. That's an offense that has no choice but to take a step forward from last year because they can't possibly take a step back. And the last thing about the New England offense, they have two tight ends. Neither of them should be started. You're looking at Mike Gusecki and Hunter Henry. Jonu Smith shouldn't have been drafted ever, but in the event that, you know, you have Johnny Smith. You're also setting him. They're all they're all two out of tens, except for Johnny Smith, who's a zero out of ten. The reason that you would want to start one of these guys is because you're praying for a touchdown. If you want to go on the touchdown or bust tight end spree, I think a you have better options in Logan Thomas and Taysom Hill. Puke, I know, sorry, but b I would rather have a touchdown or bust tight end who only has to compete with zero other tight ends to score a touchdown. Everyone in New England has to compete with two other tight ends to score a touchdown. So not only are you looking at a really low chance of a tight end touchdown anyways, which is you know why we call it touchdown or bust tight ends, because that's kind of all they're capable of doing. But even if New England throws a touchdown to a tight end, you've got about a one in three shot that it's the tight end you started. Long story short, everyone in this game, outside of wide receivers, should be benched. And Ramondre Stevenson. And obviously Jalen Hurts. Okay, and, and probably Dallas Scott. You know what? That was a bad long story short. I'll give you that. I I fumbled that one. We're going to pretend it didn't happen. Miami at the Los Angeles Chargers. We've got what looks to be an explosive matchup here. Everyone who I drafted from all of these teams are people who I want to start. Except. I forgot his name. I didn't write his name in the show doc. Someone help. Quick. Quick. The first round wide receiver for the Los Angeles Chargers, who they drafted and who I can't, like for the life of me, I can't think of his name. We're going to move on from that for a second. Miami, Raheem the Dream Mostert is a 1 million out of 10 start. If you drafted him before the Jeff Wilson injury, you, you're on cloud nine. You feel great. If you drafted him after the Jeff Wilson injury, this is exactly what you drafted him for. You drafted him to play against a terrible run defense, which the Los Angeles Chargers have had for the last two years. They're probably going to have it for a third year in a row. He's really fast. This is a really explosive offense. I think he's going to do great. On the Los Angeles side of things, Gerald Everett, in the event that you got him late or in the otherworldly scenario in which he's on your waiver wire, he is a start. You're starting him over a lot of dudes. Like the only... I, I would put him right around Kyle Pitts in the start-sit rankings. That's like 8th or ninth best tight end to start this week. Gerald Everett was incredible against Miami last year. Miami is not good at covering tight ends. They really have no one to cover a tight end on that defensive roster. I really love the Gerald Everett play here. Not only do I think he has great touchdown upside, I think he can see anywhere between six to eight targets this week. Unlike the first round wide receiver who the Chargers took, who I really can't think of the name of. I'm so sorry. He was out of TCU. 
He was six foot two. He was a little underweight. He's had drop problems. Like, I, I can tell you so many things about this guy. I just can't tell you his fucking name. I'm embarrassed. They shouldn't have trusted me with a fucking podcast. Only got three games left, and then we're going to round it out. The Los Angeles Rams at the Seattle Seahawks. Super simple. Every Seattle Seahawk, play them. Jackson Smith and Jigba, I would look to sit. Other than that, even even Zach Charbonnet, I can see as a perfectly reasonable start. Everyone on the Rams should be sat, except for Tyler Higby and Van Jefferson. If you're feeling especially frisky, you can start Puka Nakua. But as I said in episode 9, I am not willing to start anyone whose first name starts with the word Pooh. I would feel really dumb if he ended up playing like shit. Because I the blueprint would have been in front of me. I would have had the answers to the test, and I simply chose not to read them. But Tyler Higby and Van Jefferson should be in line for all of the Cooper Cup targets, because Cooper Cup, as we know, is on the injured reserve. And the Seahawks should just win this game by 54.5 points. So everyone in Seattle is a great play. You You could... You might be able to get some points out of Drew Locke today. If they end up benching Geno in the third quarter because they're winning by 54 already, we could see some Drew Locke snaps and it wouldn't surprise me. Game number 14, the Sunday night football matchup, the Dallas Cowboys at the New York Giants. We have two start-sit decisions in this game, and they are both sits. Michael Gallup, he's a guy who people are on the fence about. He has good rapport with Dak Prescott. They did bring in Brandon Cooks to play over him. I don't see Michael Gallup getting the targets, especially because Dak Prescott is still a guy who likes to throw to the tight end. In fact, I should have I should have put in here Jake Ferguson. Jake Ferguson's a seven out of ten. He's right in the Logan Thomas Logan Thomas range for this week. That is a perfectly reasonable tight end start. You can project a good amount of targets going to Jake Ferguson. Is he going to do anything with them? Probably not. He's the catch the ball and fall down type of tight end, but that's okay because you only worry about the first part. You worry about catch the ball. PPR, baby. Points per reception. He'll get them. Michael Gallup, I don't think it's impossible he gets them. It's a really crowded offense, and he just seems to be the odd man out. I am looking for someone who I can start over Michael Gallup pretty heavily. Daniel Jones plays football tonight. It's Sunday night football. Daniel Jones has one primetime win in his career. He has never beat the Dallas Cowboys when Dak Prescott is at the helm, and he averages single-digit fantasy points in all of his games against the Dallas Cowboys. Daniel Jones is a 1 out of 10. I would start really gross and disgusting quarterbacks over him. I know he was drafted high. You, pro- There are people out here who draft Daniel Jones to be the starter. You, The last thing that you want to do is be going into a Sunday night football matchup saying, I only need 10 points out of my quarterback to make sure that I am not getting last place this week. And look at your quarterback and it be Daniel Jones playing against the Cowboys. So many, there's so many better options out there. Please take one of them. Start Baker Mayfield over Daniel Jones. 
don't even think it's that hot of a take. You might think I'm crazy. Come back to this next week. We'll see how crazy I am. These might all be really crazy. Who knows? We're, you know what? We're going to find out. We're learning together. It's not what you want to hear on a fantasy football show. I understand that. I might edit that out, but I probably won't because it's 1 in the a.m. right now. We're going to move on to the final game on the docket. The final game of week one. The 15th game, which again, it's really weird that there were only 15 games in this week one. I don't know what happened. I really don't. I'm going to have to talk to Roger about that. We're going to have to sort this out, but that's neither here nor there. We're looking at the Buffalo Bills going to the New York Giants. There are a good handful of questionable decisions in this game. You're obviously starting Josh Allen. You're starting Stephon Diggs. You know, people on the Jets side, Garrett Wilson is a very clear start. Um, James Cook, you drafted him to be your RB2. There's no reason to bench him. I know that the the Jets have a stout defense, but you can project a good deal of pass catching for him. That's something that Buffalo has emphasized. They really want to throw the ball to Dalvin. Not Dalvin, sorry. Wrong side of the ball today. They really want to throw the ball to James Cook. You can expect that to happen. I think James Cook is a perfectly reasonable start. Gabe Davis, on the other hand, even though he's really my guy, he's a 5 out of 10 on the startometer just because he could absolutely go nuclear. He didn't go nuclear ever. He actually went very polar against the New York Jets in both of his games. He had, I think, only four catches, none of which were for a touchdown. It's hard to expect him to do super good just because both of the Jets' cornerbacks are so incredibly good. He does have the potential to do something awesome, and that's why he's a 5 out of 10. He's a coin flip for me. I would like to put someone in over him. But if I can't, that's okay. Someone who I'm looking to put in over him is a guy like Alan Lazard, who would have got out a 6 out of 10 this week, just because those Aaron Rodgers targets are going to have to go somewhere. This is another one of those, gotta please the home crowd. It's Sunday night football. You've got Aaron Rodgers. He wants to air this ball out. They do not want to ground and pound their way into a win. And for that reason, since Alan Lazard projects to be the second best target on this team, and because he's not going to be matched up against uh, the top corner in Buffalo, who I can't remember the name of. I'm sorry, I'm normally really good with names, but it's late, and I've been drinking. One of those is a lie. Alan Lazard projects to be a really solid start. He's a guy who you drafted to be a wide receiver three or a flex. I think you're going to be really happy with the production he gives you in both of those roles. I think he's way better than most of the guys who are producing in those roles for other teams. You know what? Alan Lazard should be like a 7 or 8 out of 10. I was too low on Alan Lazard. I've talked myself into it. I think Alan Lazard's a really strong start. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Thank you all very much for listening to the 10th episode of the Chopped Guillotine Podcast. We've hit double digits. That's pretty cool. By the time we hit double digits, we got Spotify to start paying us money. How awesome is that? I think that's pretty awesome. I hope you all have a fantastic game day. Um, I hope whatever NFL team you're a big fan of wins. And most importantly, I hope that none of you get chopped. We'll see you all next time. Thank you very much.